This is The Power Profile, stories of world-class leadership, hosted by award-winning broadcast journalist and media entrepreneur, Christina Mendonza. Get ready to connect with those defining success. This is The Power Profile, where we look at power in all forms of our professional and personal lives and talk to people who've leveraged power in their own lives. I'm Christina Mendonza. Thank you so much for joining me. Today, my guest is Dr. Tasneem Khan, head of Shemines Healing Center in Sacramento. And Shemines does ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. Shemines helps people with depression, anxiety disorders, OCD, PTSD, chronic pain. You'll hear Dr. Khan talk about other potential uses, and she'll give us a bit of background on ketamine. Maybe you've heard of it as a psychedelic, but you don't know much else about it. A lot of people don't. But she has stories of transformations that she has seen not only in her patients, but she has also tried therapy assisted by ketamine herself. So she can talk about it on a personal level. Dr. Khan has been a clinician for 27 years here in the United States and internationally. She and her staff are doing some really groundbreaking work and you're going to hear more about it in just a moment. A lot of my focus is on innovators, entrepreneurs, and thought leaders. And this podcast is really my way to bring you guests that can add value to your life, whether that's professional or personal. A CEO I know recently told me that when he starts his weekly staff meetings, the first thing he says to his team is, who has the berries? Early humans were hunter-gatherers, as you know. We all learned that in school and had a diet of meat and bark and seeds. So berries were a treat. So if a member of the uh, foraging team came back to the camp with berries, they were pretty popular. Everyone wanted to know where and how did you find the berries? Where can we get more berries? Uh, Do you have some magic method of locating the berries? Can you show us? Can you teach us? By starting the statement with the statement, who has the berries in the morning meeting, the CEO is urging his highest performers to shine and share. It's not only a positive way to start the meeting, it adds value to the team right away, first thing, and underscores the benefits of innovating and learning from each other. It's something I try to pull out of every guest on the Power Profile, those little bits of value that help all of us learn something useful for our own lives. Now, I've never been a big um, advocate of drug-assisted anything. I, you know, I don't know much about drug-assisted therapies. But I'm also very open to looking at how various drugs can be tools in therapy. And there have been so many articles of late on psychedelics and their use in therapy. Now, every method doesn't work for everyone. And the studies show there is value to drug-assisted therapy for some people. The popularity of cannabis, the experimentation with uh, psychedelic mushrooms. There are benefits other than getting high, and that has been proven by many studies. It's just about mainstream now in, in many cases. Now, the drug ketamine has a very interesting past. It is a psychedelic and was a party drug for a long time, um, also known as a horse tranquilizer. It has lost a lot of that stigma, and it has gone mainstream, but it took a long time. Even though ketamine has been FDA approved, it is in the form of an anesthetic for decades. It was used on the battlefield in pediatrics, and yes, by veterinarians too, as a tranquilizer for horses. But much of the growing interest in ketamine is thanks to an FDA-approved product called Spravato, which is a nasal spray that contains a ketamine derivative called esketamine. 
Spravato is used to treat adults with treatment-resisted depression. Now, what they're doing at Shemines takes this all a step further. It is ketamine therapy, yes, but it is combined with doctor-assisted psychotherapy. So the doctor is there when the ketamine is administered and guides the patient through therapy as they are feeling the effects. So let's open our minds to Shemines and chat with Dr. Khan about what she's seeing. Ketamine is, a, is actually an anesthetic that has been around for, you know, since the 1950s. And it's, you know, one of the more safer anesthetics in the sense that, um, I'll give you an example, it was used in the, you know, in, in various uh, military war situations where uh, medics or even non-medics could administer an intramuscular dose of ketamine to a wounded soldier and get them transported to, um, to get needed medical care. So, you know, it's a very safe um, anesthetic. It's still used quite often. Nowadays, we use it a lot in the emergency room with children. We don't use it as much with adults, mostly with children, because of its safety profile and its quick onset of action and the way it comes off. Um, but, you know, it's, you know, just like many medicines, you know, we have a, in our armamentarium as, as physicians and medical providers is, you know, some drugs, you know, we discover along the way have other effects and, one of the effects that they discovered, um, and these were studies done at Yale, uh, Yale University, where they actually found that at much lower doses than what we were giving in the ER and the battlefield, as I described before, there was actually a, a different effect, an antidepressant effect, a rapidly, a rapidly um, you know, response, a rapid response to a single dose of ketamine. And so that's what they discovered. And then, you know, studies upon studies have built up upon that. And now, of course, we have, you know, um, an off-label use for ketamine, uh, which is as a rapid antidepressant. Besides the um, kind of t- tamping down the depressive, uh, the d- depression, is there, are, does it do other things in the body? How does it work within the body? Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, um, so then, again, a series of studies, you know, looking at ketamine and, and its antidepressant effect. Mostly these studies have been done in, um, in animals and observational studies in humans. But if, we, if we're looking at what is the effect of ketamine in the brain, ketamine, when it gets into your system and gets, you know, tra- is transported across the blood-brain barrier into the brain, it actually quietens a um, network of areas in your brain called the default mode network. And these are, um, you know, include, you know, your limbic system, your amygdala, you know, a series of structures that exist in your brain that are really responsible for, you know, this level of consciousness, um, which includes, you know, I'll give an example, you know, where you're very focused, I got to pay my mortgage, I got to do this, I got to do that, I got to do that. And so it's your, you know, true, you know, sort of your, your, your conscious awareness. Um, that keeps you going on a day-to-day basis. And so what ketamine does is it gets in there and quietens that. And so what happens is when that series of, when those series of structures are quietened in the brain, then your subconscious, which is present, but is, you know, quietened because the default mode network is kind of going, 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 then your subconsciousness um, arises and um, more or less is, uh, arises into your awareness. And that's kind of, you know, a very, very, you know, uh, you know, a more simpler descri- description, but in essence, the way it does this is it goes to certain receptors in the brain and quietens them down. And these are a series of receptors. There are the, you know, NMDA receptors, 
um, they're the GABA receptors, and then downstream it's, it does. Ketamine does have an effect on the dopamine receptors and the serotonin receptors. So, you know, unlike like psilocybin is mostly focused, you know, the serotonin receptors, but ketamine sort of has an initial and then a downstream effect. Ah. And so by doing this, by doing this, like, you know, almost, you know, down to the cellular level uh, blockade or up, you know, upregulating certain um, receptors, you, you know, have that opportunity to quieten that part of the brain and really revisit your subconscious and gives you the opportunity in, of course, a guided setting, you know, not, not just out there, but in a guided setting where you've had adequate preparation, where you, you know, understand, you know, what is the work, what is the gate that you're opening, what, is, what are you possibly going to encounter, how can you prepare, and so then once you are ready and moving through that experience, that experience down to the subconscious level, you are able to navigate, you know, you are actually able to navigate that experience, able to understand that experience and understand what your subconscious is, is really speaking to you. Um, and that's where the work begins. That's fascinating. How did you get interested in this? To give me a little background on, on how you arrived um, at the clinic and, and became a believer in, in using ketamine along with therapy to treat people. Well, um, it's kind of a, you know, it's a sort of a, a journey kind of story, the journey of a patient and the journey of a doctor kind of mingled together. Um, so, you know, physicians, we, we have our share of um, grief, depression, anxiety, you know, we're not immune. Um, and so my own experience with psychedelics, um, including, you know, ketamine, um, was quite revelatory. Um, I actually um, knew about ketamine and its use. I mean, I had heard about, you know, a lot of um, ketamine use, you know, provision of ketamine in various ketamine clinics. And I just kind of, you know, knew about that. I had you know, some physician colleagues who, who were working in that space, but I'd never really spoken to them about it until my own experience and my own healing and the work I had to do, um, or I continue to do, should I say, the work I initiated, um, you know, myself. Um, and so it was self-discovery and then kind of coming to this, you know, I, I'm sorry, I don't mean to be, you know, blasphemous in any way, but it was like come to Jesus moment where it was like, oh my gosh, what have I been doing for so many years with patients, you know, taking care of people who would come to me and they would have a, you know, conglomerate of other conditions, but the depression was overwhelming and not being able to break, make any breakthroughs with our current medication regimens, you know, was something that really uh, pinpointed itself through my own experience. And I realized that I could help others besides myself. And if I could make, if I could do this, then, you know, perhaps with a skill set and with, you know, further training, you know, formal training, I could help others. And so that's where, you know, Shaw Mines uh, was born. Um, and, uh, and it's been great. It, it's been very, um, it, it's challenging work, but it's been, uh, it, it, it's been good. It's been good to see how people can really take a hold of their lives again. Shamines, is that a um, is that a, a word in another language? Is it a combination of words? What is the what is the meaning of the clinic name? Well, um, it's actually uh, a play on words. <laughs> so <clears throat> my nephew actually came up with a name um, because he kept hearing um, me talking about it, and it, you know he just he's eleven years old, so um, we were you know 
talking a lot about shamans and shamanic practices and what shamans do and looking at the ancient history of shamanic practices and how they've benefited societies across the times and indigenous populations and across the world, what the other shamans, what are they called? And so that was a big conversation. And then ah. the mind, right? The mind, we're now in this, you know, I don't know, in a, a decade or a couple of decades of the mind where we are just discovering the power of our mind. Like we, we don't know a lot and we still no more than we knew, massively more than what we knew five years ago. And so conversations around the mind, and he was like, well, <laughs> he was like, why don't you call it show mind? <laughs> that makes and so I, much I, sense. I mean, because you're kind of taking practices of, uh, you know, indigenous or older cultures and, and melding them with what we know from neuroscience today. That's the purpose. Um, that is the intent. But the intent also, I, I will tell you, is to be very respectful to those indigenous cultures and to obviously, you know, very upfront clarify that we are not shamans. We are not. That requires a lot of training. And there's a deep respect I have for those people. Um, but we, that's not what we do. But, you know, we, we try to teach people how to have a shamanic mindset, which means to be open to the possibilities of your own mind. Um, to be open to your experiences, to experience your experiences and heal yourself. And then when you are able to heal and transform yourself, you actually heal people around you, your kids, your community, your friends. You, you actually become an aura of, of uh, change. And so that's, that's what, what you know, that very simple sort of translation amounts to for the shaman's portion. Mm. So, uh, so talk to me about what this looks like. So if someone is coming in for treatment, take me through the process. Uh, you know, when is uh, the ketamine administered? How long do they wait after that? What does the therapy look like? What we are doing is very much aligned with sort of these, you know, national guidelines of, or protocols. And I would, when I say that, I, I should say that not all the protocols are identical, but what we try to follow are the protocols of where the studies were. So when I spoke about the studies at Yale and then, you know, the, you know there's, there's just been a series of studies around the country. And these are largely, you know, not uh, funded um, from a pharmaceutical perspective. Um, but I will put that, I will come back to that in a minute. Um, but these are largely studies that were anecdotal. They were studies done in various centers. Um, and these studies illustrated that over a series of sessions, so, you know, anywhere from four to six sessions with ketamine, with particularly, um, you know, mindfulness to escalating doses to tighter to um, uh, taper to response, um, not taper down, but taper to response and combining that with therapy. So using the ketamine as a lubricant for therapy. Um, allowing people to do much deeper work than they would if they, you know, just had conventional cognitive behavioral therapy. So it's psychedelic assisted therapy, which is, you know, takes on a different training lane than routine therapy. Um, so, it, so what it is, is, is um, a series of six sessions combined with therapy. There is upfront a lot of preparation before a person starts the sessions, right? So they come into the center but before they even have their first session, it's all about educating people about having a psychedelic experience. Like, what is that like? What do you expect? How do you prepare? Um, as, as well as really making sure that this is the right thing for them. It's not for everybody. Um, I, sh I should say that. 
you know, 70% of people respond. They do very well. Um, but, you know, anywhere from 20 to 30% of people don't. So it's really, you know, working through that and then administering the sessions twice a week, um, you know, for up to, you know, a total of six sessions and really looking for a pivot point. And usually that's after the fourth session, a major pivot and, and looking for the subtleties of response because there's certain subtleties that people feel that they express and then they, those just augment session to session. So looking for that. And uh, coupling the sessions with therapy, very important, um, you know, and people can have their own therapist who's aware of this work or a therapist at our center. But we, again, follow the protocol of six sessions with these three sessions of preparation before even the six sessions begin. Um, so it's, you know, it's kind of like an intense outpatient program. It's like a month, you know, you get to know us, we get to know you like we've known you for years. Um, and just to make sure that the set and setting, meaning the setting of our space is really safe. You know, it feels um, safe, warm, welcoming, non-judgmental, um, a place where people can come and know that in this sort of vulnerable state that they're safe, that they're, you know, that they can, that there's an element of trust and respect um, for each individual that, that has their own unique experience. Who does this work best for? Is it uh, people specifically with depressive disorder or um, can it work for other um, health issues or mental health issues that people are having? I mean, I, I kind of like as you were talking about it, I thought, you know, people talk a lot about the monkey mind. They you know that they cannot turn off their head uh, in order to, to think straight on so many issues in their life. I mean, does it does it help with anxiety disorder? Um, what else does it work for? So. You know, the, the target of it was for, you know, treatment-resistant depression. And that's a, that's a term that's loosely, we, you know, use quite, quite a bit in the medical literature and their definitions that we have for that. Um, and um, I'll, I'll just add that the studies that I talked about before did culminate in an FDA approval for ketamine, a form of ketamine to be used um, as a nasal spray, and that's called Spravato or Esketamine um, in, in certain dosages as well. But that, the indication for that is treatment-resistant depression. And that's where the large gamut of studies have shown this massive, you know, compared to a routine antidepressants, you know, which is about one in four, one in five people respond. This is, you know, seven out of 10, eight out of 10 people respond. So that's treatment-resistant depression. For generalized anxiety disorder, um, there is a response. Um, uh, the studies are, you know, continue. They're coming through. Um, and people do respond at much larger numbers. Again, remember, it's not just the drug, it's the drug and the therapy combined. So for generalized anxiety, um, there's also research on OC using it for OCD, using it for PTSD, um, and of course, in, in very different dosing patterns, using it for chronic pain um, as well. So there are you know, quite a few of studies in those areas. But then there are emerging studies on using, you know, Ketamine for, uh, you know, as an orphan drug for ALS, you know, amyotrophic lateral sclerosis, um, uh, Parkinson's, you know, um, you know, well, so bipolar two, I should add to the initial package. So people with bipolar two, bipolar two, bipolar one with um, depression. Um, So it's expanding. Um, And I think that we should always exercise caution in, you know, it's not a, you know, it's, it's not a magic bullet for many things. Um, 
but uh, you know, it's there are interesting applications and possibilities with with ketamine. Have you've so. had having had personal experience with it, and then now seeing your patients uh, for as long as you've been treating them uh, clinically. You know what what have you come to understand about this tool for medicine and how useful it is? I have come to understand and appreciate a great deal of humility. A humility that comes from, you know, when people are going through their experiences, it is each, each person is like a, is like a fingerprint, so unique, so individual. And, you know, to be able to sit with them and be in that space with them, it is a privilege. And again, humility, because you know what you know as a drug, you know, like, okay, I'm a doctor. Sure. I, you know, took, you know, years worth of training to get where I'm at, but wow, this drug works in each individual in such unique ways. And that can be so beautiful and profound. Um, So the humility of it, you know, um, and knowing that I am learning every single time, not to make people think that we don't know what we're doing. We're still learning, but you know, that, you know, the, the ability to see through um, the uniqueness of the experience and how a drug, even in, a, in the same dose sometimes from session to session, can result in a different experience. <laughs> you know, same person, session one, session two, same dose, same room, same therapist, but their experiences are, you know, could be, you know, total opposite or yeah, and seeing that is is uh, tremendous. Um, and just knowing that there's so much more on this frontier for us to learn and address sort of this mental health, you know, uh, parallel pandemic that we have of just mental health that we're seeing across all ages. And, um, you know, I, I think what I'm learning is, wow, I have a lot more to learn. And I just love that. Wow. I look forward to that. You, you make reference to the uniqueness of each person's experience. Um, but I, I'm sure as a doctor, you have to have some sort of like scale of expected outcome, uh, you know, or some sort of predictability. It, can you tell us what it feels like having done it personally? What does it feel to have a part of your brain calmed down or, or downregulated? <clears throat> So I'll, I'll, I'll address the, you know, what do we use to, to measure kind of. So we do use tools. We do use, you know, validated, um, you know, sort of uh, validated questionnaires that are used in mental health to kind of assess response. Um, and, uh, you know, so because if, without that, then we wouldn't be able to comment on outcomes and you know, we wouldn't be able to know, like, you know, how somebody doing is working for them if it's not. So we definitely really benefit from those tools. Um, you know, from, from experience, the esoteric I'll talk about is this, you know, um, kind of a bit of freedom from what you called earlier, that monkey mind. Um, a recognition of a certain, let's say, a certain event, a certain experience that happened, and to be able to, like, step away from it and say, oh, okay, now, you know, to step away from the emotional sort of cyclone that that experience can take you to, but to be able to step away from it and experience it with, you know, recognition, acceptance, and nurture it, but not engage in it. Um, that's something that comes out of this is, you, you know, something that triggered you in the past doesn't trigger you anymore. Hmm. Um, 
your your window of tolerance just widens. You're like, oh, well, that used to like make me really upset. But now I can sort of say, hey, what would your wise self respond with? You know, what would you, you know, and, and, and you're able to kind of, you know, achieve a degree of ability, which, you know, many of us people who master meditation are, you know, are, are they master the ability to examine their thoughts, you know, and, and separate from their thoughts. And so psychedelics help you do that, you know, um, as meditation can, really good meditation yeah. takes years to learn. And so you're able to do that. You're able to kind of even um, through the experience, because, you know, they call it a hallucinogenic, but I don't like to say people have hallucinations. It's really your subconscious with a lot of visual imagery that comes forth. And so making meaning. So, you know, part of the work was making meaning of my experiences. Like, what is my subconscious trying to tell me? Oh, it's it's speaking to me, telling me that, you know, um, you know, uh, maybe I struggle with, you know, feeling a fear of abandonment you know, because this very symbolic experience translated to that. And then you're able to kind of identify, like, what's wrong? Okay, I can see where the core of what went, happened, what went down or wherever has now surfaced in my persona today. And I can work on that now, which I couldn't do before because I didn't know what it was. It was like, oh, okay, well, I see. So it's, again, that lubricant the ability to do, you know, to participate in therapy and, you know, participate in your own healing as well in a much more empowered way. Wow. That's very broad. Yeah. No, I, I, I love that. Um, so we're going to put in the show notes uh, how people reach out to you if they're interested in learning more about this therapeutic process. But I want to finish with a question I ask all of my uh, my guests, no matter you know what industry, what realm they come from, because I find the answer so interesting. So tell me a way, uh, a ritual, uh, a hobby, a habit, something you do when you feel like your creative energy is depleted and you want to refill yourself. What do you do? I, I do Tai Chi and I take a walk. Um, and I walk and I become, while I'm walking, I become very mindful. I slow down and I focus, hyper-focus on what's around me in that moment. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think it takes a lot to do that, um, you know, to kind of focus in the moment and quieten your mind. Um, but that's, that's what I try to do. And, and Tai Chi is, you know, a practice which has helped me as well, just kind of slow down because I always like, a, you know, a runner, I like to work out, I like to like lift weights. <laughs> but Tai Chi just kind of trains your body and your mind to kind of harmonize in, in slow movements. And so that helps. Um, I found that helpful. Excellent. And I read. Oh, I yes. I love to read. Yeah. Perfect. Yes. Thank you so much for your time, Dr. Khan. We appreciate it. And uh, and we wish you all the best with your minds. Thank you so much. It's great to be on the show. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Dr. Tasneem Khan of Shemines healing center. I'm going to put uh, some links to uh, Shemine's website in my show notes so that you can check it out for yourself and maybe make a visit if you think you can benefit from ketamine-assisted psychotherapy. Now, a couple of things from my world at Mendonca Media. This year got off to a great start. I've been doing a lot of media training this year so far. Politicians, corporate executive teams, nonprofit boards, and spokespeople. And I've developed a curriculum 
and a crisis scorecard that people seem to really connect with. So I'm contemplating putting that together as an online course so folks could have access to that in other parts of the country when I'm not able to travel. My co-anchor on our iHeartRadio show, Sam Shane and I, are putting together a daily podcast for our morning radio show. We call it Straight Talk with Christina Mendonca and Sam Shane. Uh, you'll find it on the iHeartRadio app starting in early March. It will be an extended version of what we call the debrief that we do at the end of each morning show. Listeners have been asking us for a podcast. I know people say that. Oh, listeners have been clamoring. I won't say clamoring, but we have been asked for a podcast. People have said, you know, I just wake up too late to listen to your whole show. Can you put it online somewhere? So this is our attempt to uh, start to do that as we get this podcast rolling. Again, it's called Straight Talk with Christina Mendonca and Sam Shane. And I know I keep talking about this new documentary I've been working on. The website is up and you can see the trailer. It's called Sacred Texts of War. And the website is sacredtextsofwar.org. Texts like T-E-X-T-S. I'll put that in the show notes too if you'd like to check that out. We're in the final stages of putting together funding to produce the whole hour. But I suspect that'll happen in the next couple of months and we'll be off and running with that project. So I will keep you posted here. Thanks so much for being here for the Power Profile Podcast. I'm Christina Mendonca. Stay powerful. This has been the Power Profile with Christina Mendonca. Stay connected through MendonzaMedia.com.